0: As always, a huge thank you to Starboard, who are once again this season's main sponsors. Starboard has a history of innovation across water sports, starting in 1994 by revolutionising the design of windsurf boards. And they've brought that bang up to date recently, bringing foil windsurfing onto the Olympic stage with their IQ foil package. Starboard got behind stand-up paddleboarding in a huge way in the early days and continued to lead the industry to reduce their environmental impact. Their focus on innovation brought them seven world champions at the ICF Worlds last year, and all of them were using their Lima paddle range. They continue to improve and innovate their boards and their paddles for all abilities across all flavors of the sport, including adventure. And you can find out more about Starboard through their website, which is linked to in the show notes. Welcome to the SUPFM podcast with me, Simon Hutchinson. Every week I chat with interesting people from the SUP world or to people who can help us, the paddlers of the SUP tribe, to improve and to maximise our own experiences and our love of both the sport and the water. Every episode is designed to inspire or to help you get a deeper immersion into the sport through my conversations with leading athletes, scientists, explorers, TED speakers, and New York Times best-selling authors, and not forgetting some of the many insanely inspiring distance paddlers we've routinely had on the show. And this episode is something that's turned into a bit of a tradition for the podcast, over the last few years which is the book club episode and at this time of the year we're recording it and it goes out it's ideally placed for those of us in the northern hemisphere who are hunkering down for winter and we know that winter can mean one of two things for paddling on the plus side we've got downwinding and swell which obviously is something that uh, many of us like or it means that the weather conditions can be a bit more difficult to get out in. So the book club episode is one that can help you fill that paddling gap. The books that we talk about here can connect you to the water if you're not able to get out onto it. And of course, the other function is, is that if you're stumped about what to buy for the stand up paddle in your life, or if you need something for your own gift list, we will come through with some suggestions Which can help you with that great problem. And if you buy through the links we have in the show notes, you'll be supporting the show as well as the authors. So this is the third year we've done this. Last year, we had my very good friend, Sarah Supjunkie Thornley on as co host. And it's worth looking back on those previous episodes we've recorded. And if you subscribe to our email list, supfmpodcast.com forward slash list all of those books will be on the next email to go out to our subscribers. And we've got loads of book suggestions and film suggestions across those previous episodes. So it's my very great honor to introduce my co-host for this year's annual event. It's the world's number one racer, coach, all-round performer in 2022. The incredibly impressive show favorite, the official SUP-FM racer of the year, and world number one, the very talented April Zilg. April, welcome back to the show.
1: Thank you so much, Simon, for having me. I'm so stoked to be here. And bonus, talking about one of my favorite things on the planet, and that's books. Oh, wait, I mean, paddling.
0: <laughs> paddling and books together at last. So paddling and books is a bit of an odd combination, but we talked a lot about books on your interview, which we recorded earlier this year. And recognising a bit of a kindred spirit, uh, I immediately took the opportunity to invite you on to co-host this episode. So really appreciate you taking part. And before we launch into the books, I just wanted to reflect on what's been another incredible year for you. We met for the first time face-to-face at the APP in London in September, which was great fun but particularly this back end of the year. I mean, it's been unbelievably intense in terms of the racing schedule for you. Um, before we start talking about books, et cetera, could I just pick the bones out of your recent racing schedule? Because since Poland and then London and then Busan, I mean, you must be delighted with how you've gone, but my goodness, you've really put your body on the line.
1: Uh, definitely. I, like I said, I think my... My season was truly over in August since I had been racing since March, early March. And then I had the 40 mile wild Buffalo relay at the end of March, the Carolina cup in April, uh, the racing that I did in February and March was geared towards preparing myself for the Carolina cup though, those races were trained through just in preparation, sacrificial racing. Um, and yeah, the peak in Carolina cup and then going on to peak at the IVF outrigger sprint world championships after that. Yeah, it was just stand up, stand up, stand up. I had the world cup in Oklahoma uh, followed almost immediately by the world championship held by the icf the canoe federation in poland followed the very next weekend by london the very next weekend by korea Uh, barely had enough time to kind of like hobble home and lick my wounds before i had to turn around and get back in puerto rico for the isa world championships in puerto rico yeah that was it was a lot and now it's done
0: (laughs) Well, that's quite an achievement. And I noticed that there's a new event out there in Florida. It's running this weekend as we record this. We've got someone who we're going to talk a bit about later on who's taking part in it, but it's the last paddler standing. The format is is that it's three and a half Ks uh, in terms of circuit, I think. And you just keep going. And then after 48 hours, they expand the size of the circuit And uh, it very well may be still going on by the time this episode gets released. I don't know. But yeah, quite a monster. Um, However, it does sound like you've been doing your own version of that over the last few months anyway. I guess it's um, all about the recovery now.
1: It definitely is. The Last Paddler Standing is absolutely on my bucket list. I've been eyeballing it. I would love to do that one day. This season is not that day. there's actually, I think, four or five races this weekend. There's the APP World Tour stop in Paris. There is the Last Paddler Standing. There's the Key West Classic. Um, there's another one, too. Like, there's, there, yeah, there's definitely a handful of racing going on this weekend. So I'm going to go play in the woods with my chainsaw. <laughs> And a book,
0: <laughs> there you go, fantastic no that sounds amazing, and as I mentioned a bit earlier um and back in our last interview, we did have a bit of a nerd out previously around books and sports physiology books in particular, and I know that you've got a book that you're bringing along to the book club that we're going to discuss a bit later on and just to say, I did learn loads of stuff from you and really appreciate you co-hosting on this, uh particularly because I know how incredibly busy you are, so really appreciate your time and. For those of you listeners who haven't listened to the annual episode, we do have an incredibly strict set of rules for selecting the books to discuss here. And unfortunately, we, we can't compromise on the rules. We're ruthlessly enforcing of these things. And so the rules basically consist of, um, we cover any book about the water, exercise, the outdoors, or any subject that we choose. And. The other key rules are that the books have to have been published either this year or over the last 90 years. So, in short, basically the rules are any book that we think might be of interest. Um, But this year, um, there have been plenty of books published and particularly about stand up paddle boarding. We've got a couple in here. And also, I know that there are plenty in production at the moment from various people in the sport. And obviously that reflects what's been happening out there in the world with the huge growth of the sport. So having introduced you and the format of the show, let's dive straight into the episode with the first book. And this show, just to point out, will not be one with just a UK focus, but this first book will definitely qualify as a UK related book and we have discussed it previously on the show with the author and it feels like it's been around for a long time and i can't believe it's only been released this year and it's stand up paddleboarding in great britain written by joe mosley so april i know you've got a copy of the book i would summarize it by saying the title describes it pretty well it's a guide and it's got some useful information in there so there's some good general quality paddle advice for people who haven't been paddling that long. And it also gives a guide to the locations across Great Britain, Um, some particularly spectacular ones there. So what was your impression of the book?
1: Well, luckily, Sarah Junkie sent me over this book when she heard that I was planning to come over to Great Britain and do a ton of paddling. I kind of want to show up in the next few years and meet with a lot of the local paddlers in the area and go on some of these kind of scenic and uh, just UK defining places. I want to see the beauty of the area. I want it Interact with the local paddlers and she said, Oh my gosh, have you seen this book? And I was like, No, <laughs> of course. I'm I'm over here in the US. I, I have not seen this book. So she instantly sent me a copy um so that I could start planning my big giant uh paddling adventure because as I mentioned, I do, I, I want to see the places. Uh, I want to maybe do some camps and some clinics, but then I just want to have an extended trip all about the islands. And yeah, I, I'm overwhelmed. I'm absolutely overwhelmed with my options and the beauty. And that's personally one of my favorite parts about paddling, like the racing thing. I, I do it. Cause it's a, it's good marketing. B, you kind of have to make a name for yourself if you want to do paddle coaching, Uh, but it's not really my favorite. Uh, Racing's cool and all, but it's kind of, it's weird, and there's like this ego, and there's like this posturing and positioning, and it's totally not my jam. Uh, However, adventure paddling, that is my jam. And I am very excited to dive in to depth in this book during my off season, and just get a better idea of the spots that I absolutely have to hit. Simon, in your opinion, like what are what are your favorite ones out of this entire book? Like what are the ones I should shortlist when I get there?
0: Well, I was hoping you'd ask me that one. So the first one is the one that I'm closest to to me, where I am geographically, which is old Harry Rocks. And I know that when Joe went out, the conditions weren't absolutely perfect for them. It's kind of one of those spectacular paddles where there's a huge chalk Stack, and you stand at the bottom of that and feel quite insignificant. It's absolutely huge. There are massive cliffs there, and it's on something that we call the Jurassic Coast, which is obviously a very ancient coastline where there's lots of fossils to discover and all of that sort of stuff, but it really is very spectacular. So that is definitely where I would recommend starting. Uh, The other one, which I quite fancy, is on the East Coast. So there's a paddle in the book in a place called Wells by the Sea which Joe did with Sam Rutt, who's a racer from the UK, and she's been on the show. And that looks very beautiful coastal paddle as well. But I think the most spectacular locations in the UK are in Scotland and North Wales. And I know she did a few trips to both of those locations. And it's probably down to my ancestors up in the highlands of Scotland that those sorts of uh, wild areas particularly talks to me. So coastal paddles in the Hebrides, that would be fantastic. The Isle of Mull, um, there are plenty of opportunities for paddling on the west coast of Scotland. I guess um, Loch Ness would be um, another one. And uh, there are several paddles in North Wales as well, which is another Um, mountainous area of the uk absolutely beautiful mountains down to the sea oxwich bay being one of the uh, the paddles which i've also got my eye on um but just to say one of the things which i don't know whether you're aware of but we have a, a kind of a habit in the uk with these types of guidebooks of trying to um of the readers trying to recreate the experience by going and visiting all of these various different locations, effectively collecting them. And back in a couple of centuries ago, I think there was a guy called Munro up in Scotland who wrote a guidebook, which classified all of the Scottish peaks. And he, he put his name to a guidebook and people now talk about bagging a Munro, which basically means, um, Going up one of the mountains uh, that he classified back in the day, obviously with the objective of uh, of doing all of those Munros. So I told Joe that it's my hope in the future that when they talk about bagging a uh, Mosley, that will be someone who sets the challenge of going out and and capturing all of these routes and completing them and collecting them all oh. up. But it's a really beautiful book. That one it's got great photography and just with a bit of a pitch towards the international audience who make up half our listeners on, on SUP FM, um, just to say the book is available on Amazon and when you read it, you really do feel like you're having the same experience as she is. So it's great for armchair paddlers as well, wherever you are in the world.
1: Oh, definitely. I no, I, uh, I'm looking at the picture of the old hairy rocks right now and I, I think challenge accepted. I, and I love yeah. the idea of looking through and getting kind of a feel of the location before I get there and paddle it. Uh, especially if I was going to what do a do a Mosley? Is it pull a Mosley? Yeah. Am I pulling or it's am, am I doing? Now. Okay, I'm gonna pull a Mosley. <laughs> uh, challenge accepted for sure. And I th- yeah, I think one of the best ways to start too. She does mention the lock ness route and even though i'm not much of a racer there is that loch ness race which could help that's a another ultra distance do you think is Mm -hmm. in the uk uh out of the the myriad disciplines that stand up has what do you think is the most popular over there is it plain out racing is it adventure paddling or is it distance like ultra distance paddling out of those three i know there's whitewater and stuff too but
0: yeah it, it is a bit of a mixture and this is where we come into our own because um in the uk we might not have the palm trees as they do on hawaii and uh on the californian coast and so on but we do have quite a bit of variety of different environments. Um, So, obviously, you can see that with Brendan Prince, who circumnavigated Great Britain, and we've got events like the Great Glen Challenge, which you you just mentioned. I think it's probably adventure paddling or or leisure paddling, maybe single day trips, but I guess like um, over with you, there's lots of early adopters to the sport. So, it's just really a question of getting people moved across from using the the paddleboard as a beach toy and then into whatever discipline really floats there boats but it's a difficult one adventure touring i'd say is probably the biggest thing but we do also like a race over here you know there's white water as well so uh so yeah but uh, i think downwinding is the thing that i enjoy most um but obviously it's fairly rare that we get the conditions so it's it, it is really all about um having the conditions absolutely right for it
1: it is also my favorite aspect of both stand-up and outrigger. However, now that I've been doing outrigger for almost as long as stand-up, I prefer outrigger for downwind because of the rudder. Um, yeah. Oh,
0: there you go. So, so um, yeah, I need, to, I, need to, I need to get on with a bit of um, outrigger, I think.
1: But they make, there's the ultra, there's really long, the unlimited paddle boards that they used to do the island island crossings in Hawaii had uh, rudders as well.
0: Yeah. So there is a bit of a race down the Thames, which is an ultra. I think it's end-to-end. I haven't seen it advertised for a while. Obviously, I know that there's the, the Battle of the Thames, which is the stand-up event, but there did used to be a, a race down the full length of the Thames. And if memory serves me correctly it was started by members of the military and it was pretty much relentless and you just basically keep going until you finish and it's a fair old distance to travel um but um i think probably generally with all the recent travel restrictions it's led to many of us really valuing uh, our local paddling area so um you know I, i yeah, and that makes us explore more of the, the local um, area and, and really appreciating it. Um, so as I said to you when I spoke to you in London, you, you have been unofficially adopted as an honorary uh, GB citizen. Um, I think your nominations come from just me and Sarah at the moment. I'm sure there'll be plenty of listening who will um, second this, but you did spend quite a bit of time over this summer. So, you know, you are very welcome and I'm sure there will be no shortage of volunteers to help guide you around some of these paddles when you come over.
1: Dude, I'm ready. I need, I need a change of scenery. I need a change of pace and a change of scenery. You guys like touring? I don't need any palm trees. Actually, (laughs) it's funny you mentioned the palm trees of California. I'm pretty sure those were imported. They don't even belong there. So I don't know. Everywhere I go, it feels like, and especially on the the world tour, actually, uh, everywhere feels like they're trying to copy something. I, I feel like a lot of the culture is missing. Everywhere's Every major city I go to has mm. the exact same stores. It's like, oh, there's a Target and a Macy's and the same exact restaurant. So there's a McDonald's or, you know, just... Exact same stuff every city I go to, so I am craving mm. uh, some nature and some culture. So,
0: so there you go. We've we've certainly got plenty of nature, and very occasionally you can find a bit of culture. <laughs> so we can definitely help you out with that one. Okay, so that's Joe Mosley. It sounds from my sample of one, it's got an international audience attracted to it. So anyone who's listening to this outside the UK, please have a look and. And at the very least, if you're indoors and it's a rainy, blowy, windy, horrible day and you're looking to have a nice paddle experience, then I definitely recommend Joe Mosley's book. So we are moving on to our second book now, and this is the one you chose, April, Training for the Uphill Athlete by Steve House, Scott Johnson and others. And please take it away. What what attracted you to this book?
1: Um, You know, it- that, I don't even remember what initially pulled me to that book. I It was recommended maybe by Google, maybe by my Amazon. I honestly don't remember how I found the book. But when I did, I, I just read it and everything was so concise. Everything was so clearly explained. And for me, coming from... Zero athletic background when I started paddling. You know, I had a lot of misconceptions about what it meant to train and what it meant to be an athlete. And I was encountering a lot of overtraining and I didn't understand that, you know, how different our body types can be. Yes, I I understand that humans all have different body types, but someone who is a fast twitch dominant athlete versus someone who is a slow twitch dominant athlete, like how much the training programming should differ for those two humans. And I just kept trying to like match my stroke and my style and my training to all these other top athletes that I wanted to be competitive with. And it wasn't until I kind of read training for the uphill athlete and, and realized that I had been training incorrectly, especially for my, my body type. And I let, that concept of you know what it looked like to train like these top pros, I let that go. And I kind of followed their guidance in developing a, a much larger base and overcoming what I realized I had, which was aerobic deficiency syndrome. So I, I literally did a blood lactate test yesterday, uh it just to see how things were coming along in my off season. Um So we can nerd out about that in a few minutes if you really want to. But yeah, it's just the whole idea that a lot of us are training at too high of an intensity at all times. And even when we're doing things recreationally, if we have never taken the time to fully develop our aerobic systems, you can have a a very slow pace and a very slow heart rate and still be utilizing the wrong metabolic pathways to develop energy. And that is what's going to lead you to those feelings of overtraining and burnout. So it, it took me over two years to like really undo, or I guess, fix my aerobic deficiency, but I'm a believer now. And it was so interesting You mentioned my, you know, my crazy race schedule this year. I did my, I did lactate, blood lactate testing throughout my season to keep an eye on things. And come August, everything I had gained in my aerobic capabilities by training kind of lower and slower, everything I had gained, I lost it by August by going at too high of an intensity by racing too frequently. Because racing requires of you that higher intensity. Uh, it floods the muscles with lactate and cortisol, and it raises the acidity of the body. Um, so where I had gained an aerobic threshold of 168 beats per minute, it was down to 145 by my racing on September 4th before I left. And, I mean, I knew that, and it, but it's coming back now. I did uh, yesterday, I'm back to 162 with three weeks of nothing but aerobic, easy uh, work. So I'll get there.
0: Yeah, it's fascinating. And obviously, it's learning from other sports as well. And sometimes you just get some authors who write good stuff. And when I read it, I found it exactly the same as you. I am into this sort of stuff anyway, but some writers can really get into the science and into a bit too much detail. But this is really easily consumable and they give some really decent examples that you can actually identify with and also use. And it doesn't really matter that the uphill athlete are talking about mountain runners and mountaineers and all that lot, because there are some similarities with stand-up paddling. I think if you stretch the metaphor a bit, Because, you know, everything in both areas are very much dependent on conditions. And, you know, you have your fast bits and your slow bits and your really tough bits when you're fighting against the weather or, you know, you've got a particularly aggressive headwind or a a slope, obviously, if you're you're going up a mountain. And obviously, you do call on different parts of your body at different times in order to get to where you want to. So, I, I think the key message I got from the book, which is quite a nice one, is that it's not about no pain, no gain. It's not about high intensity to build stamina. You know, if if you want to climb Everest, then a few high intensity sessions are not going to be enough of a, of a base for your endurance. And you're going to absolutely blow by the time you get up to Everest base camp. But it's all about just putting that time in low intensity exercise. And I think that's why people counterintuitively haven't followed this approach because everyone's very time poor. They don't want to spend the time doing it and putting in the work. And that's really what they talk about in terms of this approach, isn't it? It's a sort of bottom up type approach rather than just going for the real spectacular performance pieces
1: definitely and uh, two things that you said that I really really want to emphasize and touch on um for stand up paddling because it's it's relatively new in terms of like sports like as as a sport goes there are newer sports but it is Fresh, there's not a lot of research, there's not a lot of science, and there's not a lot of money in stand-up paddleboarding, and therefore there isn't a lot of funding for research to see what makes people perform better or worse. Right? It's just up to like people like me, citizen scientists or couch potatoes who really, really wanted to paddle better. So I'm just going to keep experimenting on myself and seeing how things pan out. And their book just happened to be like the best experiment. Or, like, protocol that I followed. And I think that is because when you look at training plans and training methodologies, people that are purely runners, like following a running training plan or a cycling training plan, there's a lot of pace work because they are able to train by pace, because there's not a lot of conditions. Uh, that factor in, and those sports are really more purely endurance. So as much as you could get out of a a book about running training or, or cycling training, I don't think the crossover is there as much as the training for the Uphill Athlete book. They, because of the varied terrain that they're running across in their sessions, they have to train by heart rate instead of pace. I stand up paddling is unique and paddling on an outrigger canoe is unique because you do, you, you hit wind, a headwind, you might hit a varying tide. Every single time you do the exact same loop, you have potentially different conditions than the last. So their book does focus on developing like a training methodology by heart rate zone and heart rate and feel as opposed to paces. I live on a flat water lake now that's freshwater with very little wind and very little tide. For the last year, I have been able to train by pace, and it can be an absolute game changer, um, especially when heart rate can be something that is impacted by sleep or caffeine or stress. Uh, but overall, one of my main reasons for loving that book is because of the crossover to stand up. You no longer have to rely on pace you are relying on heart rate. Moreover, they are power athletes as opposed to just purely endurance. So if you look, there's like a triangle graphic in one of my other favorite books that we're not talking about today called Periodization Periodization Training for Sports by Tudor Bampa. And on each peak of the triangle, he's got speed on one side, uh, strength on the other, like each point. So it's, yeah, speed, strength, and endurance. Those are kind of the three adaptations that you're training to at any given point. And so a lot of other training sport books with a ton of funding behind them, a lot of endurance, a lot of, you know, it's just generated in this little endurance corner over here because the uphill athlete book, they're going up and down hills. And because in paddling, we are paddling, uh, again, potentially in conditions, but more because The more power, the more strength we have, the more power we can apply to the blade, the faster we can get our speed on the stand-up paddleboard or in the outrigger canoe. We're power endurance athletes. We're not purely endurance athletes. And that's why I found that book.
0: As always, a huge thank you to Starboard, who are once again this season's main sponsors. Starboard has a history of innovation across water sports, starting in 1994 by revolutionising the design of windsurf boards, and they've brought that bang up to date recently, bringing foil windsurfing onto the Olympic stage with their IQ foil package. Starboard got behind stand-up paddleboarding in a huge way in the early days and continued to lead the industry to reduce their environmental impact. Their focus on innovation brought them seven words World champions at the icf worlds last year and all of them were using their lima paddle range they continue to improve and innovate their boards and their paddles for all abilities across all flavors of the sport including adventure and you can find out more about starboard through their website which is linked to in the show notes so
1: wildly helpful because there are so few resources for true power endurance sports um and that's like the main number one point why I loved that book. And secondly, you hit the nail on the head when you said that this methodology is just not popular because of the the time. There's no overnight gains in this building the house, like building the base, right? When you build that base, it's not glamorous. It is boring as... <laughs> it is... And, and it's hard to justify that when you feel like, oh, you know, I've got work to do. I've got my kids to feed. My husband needs help, you know, painting the side of the house. I don't know what it is that you've got going on in your day. But I know that paddling along at like 120, 130 beats per minute, slower than like snails, does not feel important. But if you have aerobic deficiency syndrome, or if you are a fast twitch athlete looking to be competitive in a slow twitch athlete's sport, this is a process, like a rite of passage. You have to go through it. And there's no book that synthesizes it and makes it clearer than training for the uphill athlete.
0: Absolutely. There's no easy wins, are there? There's no sort of shortcuts to any of this. And they talk in the book about the iceberg effect and that's something we see all the time, where you see the pinnacle of the sporting performance, and then you think, well, I just need to do, you know, that really. But actually what they don't see is all of the work that goes below the surface. Um I think Muhammad Ali had a quote about the fight being won or lost far away from the witnesses and out there on the road and so on. And and that's definitely the case with this. And I think the other thing which I got which is really interesting particularly around these top class athletes is how much they actually spend doing their event specific training and how much time they spend doing a sort of cross training. So if you take Usain Bolt, you wouldn't expect him to just go down to the track and run a hundred meter sprints the whole time because, you know, he'd probably be a wreck within a couple of days. And it's the same for top-class skiers, and he talks about that in the book. Uh, apparently, about 80% of their workload is cross-training and just building that aerobic base. And, and even for runners, regardless of your distance, that there is a huge amount of stamina training, and they don't do that at full race pace. So it's, it's a fascinating book, and it's all about getting under the hood of this stuff. But I think the key thing about training is that there aren't any easy wins and just doing the intense activity in short sessions um seems like a quick win but it's actually those low intensity long sessions which which really make the difference
1: definitely um yeah i one of my favorite graphics from the entire book was the it's got a little vacuum and the vacuum bag, like the bag of the vacuum, is muscle fibers, and it's your slow twitch muscle fibers. And it's slurping up, it's vacuuming up the metabolic byproducts of your fast twitch muscle fibers of anaerobic metabolism. So that's the, the that burning feeling that you get in all-out sprints. And anaerobic metabolism is that that two-minute or less kind of all-out burst, right? And it, that just really was a, an excellent graphic to explain it, um, to explain what's really going on early in the seasons. And you kind of touched on this. The training looks the same for almost everybody, whether you're a sprinter or a marathon runner or an ultra distance doing the last paddler standing early, early, early in your base season, you're that iceberg under the water a lot of that looks the same. Um, Because whether you're going to go for distance or go for speed, the slow twitch muscle fibers are going to either get stronger or they are going to clear the metabolic byproducts of your sprinting. So yeah, that, that vacuum graphic. The training's the same no matter who you are early, early in the season. The further away from the event, the more all of our training kind of looks the same. And then as you get closer to your key event, you're going to start, you know, being more sport-specific. Usain Bolt's going to head down to the track and start doing 100-meter repeats over and over at a higher density, a higher frequency, a higher volume. But he has done all of the base work under the iceberg, which is going to help his body recover from those 100-meter efforts. He can do more and more and more because his body is recovering better and clearing, vacuuming up the the metabolic byproducts quicker because he has a higher density of slow-twitch muscle fibers, even though he is a fast-twitch muscle fiber athlete. still makes him more efficient and improves his health. A higher density of slow twitch muscle fibers or having an enhanced aerobic metabolism is linked, not just to to better metabolism overall, but like helping relieve cortisol, like the stress of cortisol, which is high when we do sprinting workouts. It keeps the acidity of the body down. It boosts our immune system. I can say as someone who was consistently sick after my main race every year, like I had never finished a race or gotten on an airplane without getting sick and being down for like a week or two, like horribly sick, just from like being exposed to some germ on an airplane after racing. Um, Twenty nineteen, uh, the Paris race that they're gonna have this coming weekend was the worst time, the worst sickness I've ever had in my my life, and it wasn't until I solved that aerobic deficiency syndrome puzzle. I can say that I didn't get sick this year. Yeah, I raced a lot and I went all over the world and I was in airplanes and maybe everybody's cleaning things better too. But I I did not, this year was an absolute win for me because I was able to prevent like the wheels from coming off. And it, it was because of that book. That book helped me regain my health.
0: Absolutely. And you know that that makes so much sense because if you're, Sprinting, your body thinks you're in a panic situation. It fires up all the adrenaline and the stress hormones and the cortisol, as you say, and that will end up depressing your immune system. Whereas, if you are building on a base of stamina where everything's, I don't know, a bit slower than you'd ideally like for an adrenaline session, it's kind of soothing and hypnotic and it just calms everything. And of course, lots of those sorts of sessions generally raise your base threshold. And as a result, your upper end of performance moves as well. And, you know, I I thought this book was fantastic. I obviously learned a lot from our last conversation and this helped me to get into things a bit more deeply, but I'd definitely recommend this to anyone really. It is very accessible. It's not just pure sports science. So thank you. April for the suggestion. I really enjoyed
1: I, I, it. I love telling more people to read it.
0: <laughs> well, hopefully someone else will pick it up as well. But yeah, highly recommended. And you don't have to be an uphill athlete to do it. But as you say, uh, it's got a real affinity for the sport. Okay. So let's move on to the next book. And this is a book which has recently been released and it's called Improving Your Stand-Up Paddleboarding. And it's written by Andy Burrow and James Van Drunen. And it's hot off the press. I've got an advanced copy and I sent you a digital copy and it's written by James, who's a racer and he's had a few podiums in the Euro Tour and is a coach. And Andy, who's also a racer, he came to the sport late, he did get into racing in a big way, but he's also got a background in business coaching, which you can definitely see in the book. So as I mentioned, the title is Improving Your Stand-Up Paddle Boarding." Did you have any initial takeaways from the book? You
1: no, know, I thought it was a really, it's a good introductory text. He covers everything. I, I don't think there he left any stone left unturned. He even touched on another one of my favorite books, The, uh, flow by chick sent me high and he talks about i'm
0: glad you pronounced that not me
1: yes uh, yeah
0: <laughs> I, I enjoy the book but uh, but yeah i was i was i was and he's one of my favorites as well but i was wondering whether i was going to make a go at uh, pronouncing it but, yeah. but it's a 10 out of 10 for that one april
1: i know yeah i can't pronounce the first name but i got the second one his last name it- <laughs> under wraps but yeah he even went into how stand-up paddling can help cultivate a flow state he covered surfing white water flat water touring like every single aspect of sup he touches on the uh technique he touches on our our energy systems although he said something about anaerobic metabolism up to eight minutes and i was like Meh. But <laughs> i was like i don't know but you can be He's technically right. So uh, we're splitting hairs now. But I thought it was a phenomenal read. And I think for people who are are getting their their feet wet, no pun intended, on stand up and looking to just have a resource to to reference back to. He even covers clothing of what people should mm. be wearing in different conditions. Uh, like I said, he it, it's an all-encompassing resource for stand-up paddling.
0: Absolutely, and it's definitely one for the improvers, isn't it? I thought it was quite a good jumping-off point in all sorts of ways. So, if you're invested in improving yourself or others, so if you're starting a, a coaching career in a local sub school or something like that as well, it will give you plenty of of um, opportunities for extending either your skills or will help you in coaching other people. And it does give quite a variety of different directions, but The bits I enjoyed most, I guess, were the bits around the coaching. And there's a a whole thing around mindset, um, around learning and seeing things as an opportunity to develop and being able to manage setbacks and so on. And those things you don't tend to see within these sorts of books. So it was really good to see all of that covered. And there's also a whole pyramid around unconscious incompetence. And I won't go through the entire list of of that pyramid but you know that whole section is fantastic and i think it feeds back into what we talked about um around instant wins you do need to build your base whether it's skills or stamina or whatever and this book will definitely help you do that and of course that all takes time and it takes persistence And it takes getting it wrong and uh, not getting disheartened, getting back on the board and trying it again. And, you know, also it really is uh, all about building decent habits to get out there frequently. And, you know, I, I thought it was a great book. It was incredible. A really huge span of stuff, all very interesting and very useful as a base for shooting off and looking at other things in more detail. And. There was a whole section on body fascia, you know the sort of oh
1: yeah, fascia. The, the, yeah the the, the weird they're kind of like cobwebs of the body, for lack of a that's like a nice visual.
0: Exactly, exactly, and and then suddenly when he talks about that, suddenly yoga and so on it makes a bit more sense to me in terms of general conditioning. So yeah, I mean, it was a really good book. And I think if you're going to get the most from it, it's not one of those books, which is a coffee table book uh, where you can just read it and learn the knowledge and absorb it. I think you need to really pay very close attention to the various sections and just get out and practice it. Um, and, um, if you haven't got those skills or if you haven't worked on those techniques before, it really does give you an opportunity, um, and it gives you something that you can work on.
1: Yeah. I think what I love the most about it is that it addresses the entire organism, right? The entire system, it, it, through the mental, the physical, um i think you know when he touches on flow you know we're 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 skirting on the spiritual in essence right like why do we paddle and why what are we connecting with we're not just connecting with nature in the water but we are connecting with ourselves and you know through the topics that he covers in this book each time you want to improve each time you fall short uh, of what goal you might have had You don't run away, like you don't run away and be like, "Oh, well, I failed," right? You reframe this failure, and you keep going, working your way up that pyramid, uh, the one towards unconscious competence, and from your original, which I know this one of my every single clinic I give, we talk about those four: it's unconscious incompetence, you don't know that you don't know, and then there's uh, conscious incompetence. All of a sudden, you know you don't know something, and then there's unconscious uh, competence which is the, wait, that's the final one. Yes. Yes. Conscious competence is the third one. So you're, you're focused really hard, but you can kind of, you're doing it, but it takes a lot of mental, it's mentally fatiguing. And finally, that flow state, that unconscious competence. Um, it, and you want to keep working towards that because, that's the state where you do find that flow and you do find what you're not good at. You do find your shortcomings and it like it almost forces you. And that's why I do as much as like racing and competition is my favorite thing in the world. It forces you to be honest with yourself. Like, hey, I fell short today. Here is where I can improve. Like if you don't have an answer like, oh, hey, you know, I trained sprints and I did a distance race or vice versa, like, you have to be honest with yourself a about your your abilities and what you've been training for and then you have to go back to the drawing board and say hey well i i'm not doing this thing you know you, you can look at all the the different improvements that he has laid out in this book he said okay well i'm training my aerobic system i'm training my anaerobic system um you know i'm doing all the skills i've done my technique what am I missing? Maybe you should add in yoga. Maybe you should add in strength. I, you know, I have clients that avoid strength training. And if it's something that you've been consistently avoiding year after year, you should definitely probably look into it, um, to improve your overall skills.
0: Yeah. The the obstacle is the way, as they say. Um, I love that book. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, um, yeah, it's quite amazing. And, and, don't want to get too much into the, the brain but sometimes those things that are most challenging to us are you know is where we do the real real learning and when you push yourself through that barrier as long as it's something that you want to do in the first place then you know that that's where the real development comes and, and where the step forward comes but uh now I, I i it sounds like you really enjoyed it I, I thought it was a great book and um and i haven't seen anything like that out there so um Tick from us both I no
1: think. I yeah like I said I think it's a really great resource for people who are getting into stand-up paddling um for sure because every time you fall short of something there's going to be something in that book like oh hey you know I'm not doing this yet maybe I should look at it uh maybe I should look at strength maybe I should look at yoga like yes yes you should look at all these things and you should always keep improving Uh, As long as you're having fun, as you mentioned, if you're enjoying it and you're enjoying the process of uh, pushing yourself to the utmost of your abilities and discovering more about your limits and just you as a human. I I think long hours on the water help us all learn more about Mm -hmm. ourselves Um, and then kind of regularly testing yourselves and, and going back to the drawing board and being honest about what still needs working on. Um, instead of kind of saying, oh, I'm great the way I am. Like, no, Mm. that's, so if if you're already perfect and you're already amazing and there's nothing for you to work on, then you're done here. Like on this earth, right? Like there's nothing left for you. Good job. Exactly. Um, (laughs) so yeah,
0: where's the satisfaction in that you've got to push over things, don't you? Um, I'm over barriers and so on. So that's good. That sounds like that's a ringing endorsement from both sides of the Atlantic for improving your stand-up paddleboarding, which is a book by Andy and James. And I know this is a book club, but just because I make the rules, I'm going to just change them very slightly and introduce a film in here.
1: I'm going to mention just how much I love your rules, by the way. I didn't get to say it earlier, so I'm going to interrupt you right now and be like, I love your rules. <laughs> because.
0: <laughs> Yeah, the, the rule. Yeah, I, I rule with a rod of iron here. It's uh, you know
1: zero you know, what, to what ninety years old. Uh, yeah, um, all of them. All of the rules are. I feel like yeah. you should be in charge of stand up paddleboard racing and the rules because <laughs> <laughs> we might have more
0: yeah, fun. Yeah, the new fifteen yeah. foot class and uh, yeah. <laughs> Um, so um, this one here is Circumnavigation, which is the story of the long paddle. Um, so I, I watched this quite a while ago when it was released again. I think It was 2022. So it's been a really busy year this year. Um, and I'd really forgotten about what a beautiful piece of filmmaking it is. So Will Redaway travelled round um, the UK with Brendan Prince who is currently preparing for the last paddler standing. So um, so what did you think of that film, April? I know you've watched it.
1: It was, I, I just love any story about someone kind of going for a goal of theirs. I do realize that his bigger, I guess, idea was to raise awareness um, for water safety. But he, but I think, yeah. Uh, At its core, he's just he's a man on a mission. And there is the altruistic water safety component. But I think that deeper than that, it was definitely it was just a man's journey to be the first person to paddle around Great Britain.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, that, that was that was definitely in there. I mean, it, w- so where the film starts is him talking to the camera about an experience that he had when he was just on the beach minding his, his own business. I mean, he, he has done a lot of lifeguarding and so on. And, um, you know, I've spoken to Brendan a couple of times on the show. I've had a beer with him. I've paddled with him. Um, I, there's a two-second bit in the film showing me paddling with him just in front of the needles there towards I, I the end. I think I saw that. So you and Sarah. I, I should, if I had I known, I would have waved um, in that bit and spoiled the shot. But um, it, so, so what he talks about is experience that he had, where um, you know it was it was some bad conditions, and you know he had a particularly uh, horrendous experience um, um, on the beach, and and that's really kind of set up his his agenda, um, the charity that he runs for water safety, and um, and obviously ultimately led to to this experience where he paddled around the UK and, and kept going and I think you know you're absolutely right I think there's there was a degree of therapy involved in there um you know there was a degree of testing himself you know all the water conditions and movement that happens around the coast he talks a little bit about it in the show that and then there's there's the um you know encountering the nature encountering the nature and you know it I mean, he, you know, I'm, I'm sort of slightly invested in this because, you know, I I know him, I get on with him, and and he's exactly the same as he is in the the film. But you know, it, it was really quite a spectacular film, and and again, showcasing you know some of the incredible coastlines you know we we've got there, April, which which um, obviously you've, you've yet to discover.
1: It looked like some of the conditions on certain days threw him, uh, definitely for a loop, uh, maybe a little bit more than he was bargaining for. Cause I did, I I did the math on like the distance traveled per day. And I know he had to take many days off, uh, for conditions, like to, to wait for more favorable conditions, which my goodness, I I just, some of the clips where he's going around the rocks, it, Mm. it looks challenging.
0: <laughs> the previous year it was Jordan Wiley who was a, uh, you know, who'd basically taken up paddleboarding. Had never been out on the sea I don't think until he went out there. He's sort of ex-forces and you know and he'd run all these sort of extreme marathons and so on so he was he was no stranger to endurance paddling, but that stretch just up in the north of Scotland going round those headlands and and so on, it was just unbelievably gritty and um i'm i'm gonna fail on the name but the the is an area up on the west coast of scotland where there's sort of lots of stuff going on below the surface and then there's tides and and water coming in from all directions and uh yes there's a whirlpool there which is well known and you you know if you look at on youtube you can see you know some pretty decent boats going in there and and having a a seriously bad time so you know i think he managed to avoid sort of that that place specifically but yeah i mean it it took a huge amount of courage to go um out and do that but you know I, i did feel really uplifted you know just just by um just by watching it for a second time and um and um you know it, it's something that that I really enjoyed and uh, as we mentioned he's doing last uh paddler standing this weekend, so obviously wish him all the best for that one,
1: yeah man, that's gonna be i i'm i will be glued uh to watching that
0: yeah well um if you miss the first ten minutes, then it's not gonna be all over in a flash it's um <laughs>
1: I you know. I don't I've know when the time. best time to
0: start watching it is. <laughs> we'll I will be
1: like what, the people who check their like football games, right? They just always pick up their phone and look and check. That's going to be me. They're like, hold on, uh, middle of a conversation, I need to check <laughs> who's yeah. still standing in the last or yeah. standing.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, I know he's been doing a lot of training recently, and uh, I think I think where he's going to be paddling is uh, is pretty flat, and maybe. I don't know. We don't know what the wind's going to be like, but it's going to be pretty flat and I, and I've seen him sort of training in sort of stuff like this. So uh, anyway, hopefully there's a, there'll be a good bit of aerobic base training in there because I think that's what he's going to be uh, relying on, isn't it?
1: Oh yeah, that's it's all especially it's, it's just a loop. Well, because I last year, I don't remember one of these birthdays I had, I just paddled 1 mile every hour on the hour for 24 hours just for fun. <laughs> um, and that's what the last paddler standing is. It's a three K loop or whatever, yeah. every hour on the hour, but for much longer. And I was like, Oh, I already did that. Like, <laughs> so <laughs> I think it would be fun to do that race or that event. It's not a race, uh, one day, but all aerobic base and your ability to not sleep.
0: Yes. That's I like
1: really yeah. why I'm not doing it. I love how warm my bed and my blankets are. Mm, is, that, yeah. is that okay? Is that acceptable?
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Definitely. I'm a big fan of sleeping myself as well.
1: I love sleeping. Uh, yeah, absolutely.
0: So, just just to finish off here, I'm going to ask you a bit about what your plans are for next year, April. But there's a couple of other books that so far we haven't covered in the SUPFM Book Club, and one is a big. Missing. It's the Paddleboard Bible by Dave Price, and this has turned into a bit of a success internationally and in the UK on Amazon particularly. And Dave Price is a paddler, an instructor who comes from a location fairly close to me, and uh, I met him at a, a meeting back in the spring, I think it was. And his book covers everything from a beginner's perspective all the way through, and like the improvers' book that we've just reviewed, it does cover a ridiculous amount of useful subjects, including quite a lot in there about nature. So that's highly recommended. There's another book which I haven't got and which is not available yet, and it's coming out in the new year in the States, which is Chris Burtish's new book about his crossing of the Atlantic and it's called All In. He's launched it already in South Africa, and that has already sold through. So I, I don't think there was any doubt that it wouldn't uh, sell very well, but I know that he's planning to release it uh, more widely across the world in the new year, and we will, of course, feature that on the show when it arrives. So that is it for another year for the Sup FM Book and Film Podcast. I've just changed the rules to rename that one. <laughs>
1: I, I love the name.
0: I love it. I love it. Yeah. There you go. It's catchy, isn't it? And obviously you've had a pretty brutal year this year, particularly the back end, which has been absolutely unbelievable. Um, the amount of racing that you've done is is quite astounding. But uh, what are your plans for the new year? Is, is Carolina Cup first on the list? I'm just guessing.
1: Uh, well, no. So... I think I've got a couple of off season races that I will, again, those are trained through will not interrupt my training plan to compete in them. Um, you know, whether I do well or not, doesn't matter. You're just going to support the sport and the people who are putting on the events, um, and to support my, my sponsors and the events maybe do some, some camps or some clinics or workshops, uh, and spread the stoke. But Carolina Cup is not technically the first big race. Wild Buffalo Relay this year is from Avalon to um, Newport Beach. And it's 32 miles this year. And I might do it solo instead of as a relay, as I've done in the past. I'm undecided right now, but that is on April 2nd. Um, it is open to stand-up paddles sand up paddlers in addition to outrigger canoes. Um, but Molokai solo might be back on the rotation this year. And that would be the first weekend in May. So it, I do not know if I would do Carolina cup. I may, or I may not because my bucket list item for three years has been Molo solo, but it has been canceled every single year since I decided I wanted to go for it. (laughs) So this might be the first year I might finally get my chance. So that will be priority. Number one, the big a race of the entire year will only be that.
0: Wow. What an experience that would be. And just to finish off, totally on the book front there there's an up and coming author called April Zilg who i understand has written the athlete okay. <laughs> agenda now we talked about that briefly in our last interview but obviously that's very much in that zone of improving paddleboarding or sporting performance so it'd be wrong of me not to ask you about that but i also think potentially there might be some other books in the pipeline i i won't ask you to share too much about those but just tell us a bit about the athlete agenda
1: you know, so the athlete agenda is, it's an agenda. It's a, it's a planner. It is a functional tool. It's a quarterly planner for you to build your training and keep an eye on what you're doing every single day. It's giving spaces to set your intentions before you go out for your paddle or your run or whatever that may be and come back and reflect upon it. Uh, like writing with your hand, it's called encoding, when you write something with your hand and you're watching what you're writing, it encodes it deeper into your memory. So when you need to recall the things that you've learned in training in a high-stress situation, such as a race, it comes out much quicker. It leads to that unconscious competence we were talking about earlier. It's, it's pretty much taking all the things you've read and you've learned because that's what I did. I, I took all the things that I've read and learned throughout the last decade, and I was like, how do I turn this into a daily practice that prioritizes my paddling, I guess, development? And it is the athlete agenda. It works, obviously, for any sport. You don't have to be a paddler to use it. There is a book uh, in the works of the same name coming out from me, but that is like, probably two or three years, uh, in the pipeline in the next year, the first book called you are an athlete, which is kind of the starting point. It's part memoir and part, um, just practical guidance and persuasion to convince that everybody that they are an athlete. So I do believe, uh, coming from my history as a, a couch potato I I do believe that we all have an athlete inside of us and it doesn't matter if your goal is to just run one mile without stopping, or if your goal is to win a world championship, you are an athlete and our bodies and our brains and everything about our human experience works better is better when we take time to prioritize daily movement, some sort of regular athletic practice. Um, and so You Are an Athlete, the book, not out yet. Uh, we'll talk about that on this podcast next year. I'll send you a copy as soon as it's done. Um, but yeah, Athlete Agenda is just how to put that into practice. And it has my voice uh, taunting you. I mean, encouraging you <laughs> to uh, write in it every single day.
0: There you go, and you know that that's the thing again which tends to get missed in these sorts of books, which is building those daily habits. I don't see it in very many books, but it is the critical key to applying what you learn because it's all very well reading things, but when we 've read something, we think we know it, um sometimes we forget it instantly I know I know I do um but if we don't start using it and building it into our habits, then it doesn't do us any good, and it doesn't come alive unless it's applied. And that's really what your book is all about. And that's the bit of the puzzle which is so essential. So that's absolutely fabulous, April. And obviously, all the links to all of the books, including The Athlete Agenda, will be in the show notes. So, April, thanks so much for joining me. Thanks for giving up your time today. Really has been a fantastic experience chatting again hopefully we've injected a little bit of nerdery in our chat today as well so that's it that's the end of the book club that's the end of the Sup of m episodes for this year um april it was great meeting you this year and uh, take care and see you on the water
1: i'm so thankful that you had me on and i anytime i love to talk books all times